that video is a powerful reminder that Jesus will one day come again. And uh, he was the one that instituted the church. And I love Jesus' words, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we're going to look into the word of God now and continue our study on the unstoppable church. And with that in mind, let's uh, pray together and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, thank you as we open up your word. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your plan to change the world. And Lord, I pray for our world right now as it's struggling under the weight of this virus. God, I pray for a miracle. I pray for all of our healthcare workers, God. Pray that you would protect them. And for those that have caught this virus, that you would heal them quickly. I pray for everyone struggling now. God, heal them. Protect those who don't have this virus. And Lord, we pray that as you uh, work in this world, that you would work through our leaders, our government, to bring about a resolution to what's happening in our country today. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, our world has changed. And uh, it's a bit different for me to be preaching to an empty worship center. But I have to admit, I uh, laughed a bit when I saw this picture uh, that was on Facebook of a youth pastor that felt sorry for his lead pastor that was preaching to an empty congregation, an empty worship center every single week for the past four weeks. So this is what he did. He put together all these puppets in the worship center and uh, spaced them with social distancing so that his pastor would have an audience to preach to. You can see the picture on the screen And uh, I have to admit, I don't know if it's harder to preach to an empty worship center or to preach to a worship center filled with this audience. But I I like his idea because it can be difficult to preach to an empty room. But I am so thankful for the technology that allows me to come to your home and share the word of God with you. Today, my daughter actually sent me a... uh, a picture of a man who was 104 years old and he caught the coronavirus and he just got better and better, the caption says. This is a story from the Washington Post and she sent this picture to me and uh, I was like, hey, hey, what are you trying to tell me? This guy's 104, are you saying that? (laughs) What what do you think, I'm approaching 100 years old that I need to be encouraged by this? So I was a little concerned about how old my daughter thought I was But uh, I know the message she was trying to encourage me with, and that is, Dad, even an old guy like you can overcome this virus with God's help. And I said to my daughter, this 104-year-old veteran, he must be Norwegian. I just sense that he's a Norwegian. This guy made it through, 104 years old. But we want to talk about something that truly is unstoppable. This 104-year-old guy, he's stoppable. One day, his life will come to an end, just like all of our lives. But there's one thing that's unstoppable on this planet. It's the church. And we've been studying how God has been using the church to change the world. Let me remind you that we're in the first section of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7. We're going to look at chapter 6 today. But Peter is the central person as the church is born, and it's growing by leaps and bounds exponentially. The church is growing in the city of Jerusalem. It's triumphing 
In spite of the beginnings of persecution, the church is growing. You're part of the church. This is part of your story. And we ought to be encouraged by that, that we are part of the story that began in the book of Acts as the church has spread around the world. It's unstoppable. Today I want to talk about this, a problem that arises in the church. And the problem is solved in an amazing way. The church does it right. It's a relational problem. Now, I know we have a problem in the world today with a virus, right? It's a different kind of problem. It's a biological problem. But what we're going to look at today is how to solve problems that exist in relationships with others. That's exactly what happened here in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. The bottom line is this. The church experiences its first logistical, relational problem that causes some dissension in the church, causes some tension in the church. And the way in which the early church solves this problem is still an example to us today of how to resolve disputes. Hey, if you've had a problem in your life, join the crowd. I've had relational problems in my life as well. And I want to give you six principles that we can get right out of this text in the book of Acts that tells us how to solve relational problems. Husbands and wives, there are principles here for you. Moms and dads with their kids, there are principles in the text for you. Let me remind you about uh, what's been happening in the church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives his final instructions. He ascends up into heaven. Then in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. And a crowd gathers when they hear the sound of this mighty rushing wind. And Peter gives his first sermon. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. They were less than one mile from his empty tomb. Then a lame man is healed, a miracle at the temple steps. A crowd gathers again. Peter gives his second sermon. 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. But persecution begins. The apostles are arrested, put in jail. And the next day, they're brought before the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders tell them to stop preaching about Jesus, but they say, you know what? We have to obey God rather than man. And they keep preaching. The church rejoices as the church continues to grow. Then in Acts chapter 5, we had the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. As they lied to God and the church, and as you remember, they dropped dead on the spot because of their sin from within. And, and we want to be sure that never happens in our church. The sin uh, in our lives would never cause dissension or problems in the church. So we want to make sure our hearts are pure before the Lord. And, and yet the apostles are put in jail again by the Jewish leaders, but this time an angel comes and leads them past locked doors, past the guards, and they're freed again. And that next morning, they go out preaching again in the temple. And when the Jewish leaders want to meet with the apostles, they're like, bring those apostles in from the jail. Hey, they're not there. The guards are there. The doors are locked. But the apostles aren't there. Someone runs in and says, I know where they are. They're right outside teaching again about Jesus. They weren't intimidated by persecution. They weren't intimidated by jails or the threats of human leaders. Now we get to chapter 6. In chapter 6, there's a problem. 
There's a problem with the distribution, the fair distribution of food to the widows of the church. Let's look at the text. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is growing. A complaint by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were those that were in Jerusalem who were raised in a Greek culture. They, they spoke the Greek language as their primary language. But they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Pentecost when the church was born, and they remained in Jerusalem. The Hellenists had a complaint against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the distribution of, of food to these widows. And the 12, the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples. And they said, hey, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We're not going to give up the preaching of the word of God to serve food. So this is what they said. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Here's their qualities. Here was the qualifications that were needed. Men of good repute. They had to have a good reputation. Full of the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit. That, that was evidenced in the way they lived among the people of the church. And they were men of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves, the apostle said, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what the apostle said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, here's the problem that existed in the church. There was a group of Hellenistic widows. They were Jewish widows who had been raised in a Greek culture. They spoke the Greek language. The problem was they were in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the language that was spoken was Aramaic. In the synagogues, they did their services in Hebrew, but in day-to-day -day life, they spoke Aramaic. And obviously, the Hebraic widows, the Hebrew widows, were being favored here in the text. They were getting a better distribution of the food than the Greek widows. This might have been unintentional. Uh, most commentators believe there was probably a language barrier that existed that caused this unequal distribution of food. And the Hellenistic folks that were in the church said, hey, our widows aren't getting an equal share, a fair share. There's a problem in the church. They felt they were being unfairly treated in this distribution of food. But you know, in this text, we see how to solve relational problems. And I love the first thing that I see in the text. It's this, stay focused on the problem without getting defensive. You know, the apostles, they were the 12 disciples who had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They could have been offended by this. They could have said, hey, are you criticizing our leadership? Do you know we've been with Jesus for three years? Do you see the growth in the church? How dare you complain about what's happening in the church? But they didn't do that. They didn't get defensive. 
you know, they acknowledged that there was a problem and they decided to change it. I love that. You know, I know in my life through the years, I can look back at time, on times when people have come to me and they, they might see a problem in my life or the problem, a problem in the way I'm doing something and they'll bring it to me and I'll get a little bit defensive. I'll be put off a bit. Hey, who are you to tell me about my problem when you have problems yourself? See, but, but that's not a biblical approach to making the church better. It's not a biblical approach to making me better. What I need to have is a humble spirit. That's exactly what I love about the apostles here. They didn't get defensive. There's no pushback here in the text. They heard what the complaint was. And by the way, here's a great thing to remember. Always speak the truth in love. If there's a complaint in the church... If there's a complaint in a relationship with someone else, always speak the truth in love. Do it from a soft and tender heart. I always encourage people never to confront in anger. I can always encourage husbands and wives, never confront in anger. Always get under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we know the fruit of the Spirit is this, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. So husbands, if you have a concern about your wives, always say it in love. Say it from your heart. Wives, if you have a concern about your husbands, if there's a complaint about your husbands, always share it in love. Don't share it in anger. Don't share it with a nagging, negative tone. Uh, it could be shared something like this. Hey, I, I know there are things that I need to work on in my life, but, but here's something that I would love for you to work on if you'd be willing to do that. Love for you to work on this. Love for you to change this. See, and, and my guess is, I'm not sure, but my guess is the Hellenists came to the apostles and simply said, hey, there's a problem. Our widows are not being fairly treated. Our Greek widows aren't being fairly treated here in Jerusalem. And the apostles heard it. They had a humble spirit, and they were willing to address the problem. Stay focused on the problem. Don't attack the person. Don't attack the messenger. Stay focused on the problem. As a parent, I need to always share concerns I have with my kids in love, right? It doesn't just have to happen between husbands and wives. It's as a dad, I need to share with my kids in love. I don't want to be sharing in anger. Moms, not to share in anger. And I get it. We've all been there. We've been frustrated. And I have shared in anger at times in my life. But you know what I need to do? I need to go back and say, hey, kids, I'm sorry. I I got a little too angry about this. But you need to change. This can't happen anymore. I need to be firm with you. This is an, an activity. This is a way of life. This is, these are actions that cannot continue. So stay focused on the problem without getting defensive, without getting angry. The Bible even says this in the book of James. Slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. What does that tell you? To listen, to find the problem. Peter Drucker was a famous management consultant in the 60s and 70s. 
He wrote a number of books, became kind of the father of organizational management. And one thing he said that I'll always remember when I read one of his articles, he said this, that too often we're quick to define the problem. Too quick to define the problem. And then we come up with the wrong solution. What organizations need to do is spend more time defining the problem. Husbands and wives, we know that very often the the surface reason for frustration in a relationship is not really the foundational reason for that frustration. You've got to go a bit deeper. You have to hear one another's heart in this problem. Go deeper. Define the problem. And that's what I love here. The apostles were very open to this problem. They said, okay, we're going to take steps toward a solution. Don't get defensive. These Hellenists came. There was a problem, unfair distribution. And the the apostles said, you know, we're going to fix it. We're going to make it better. And this is a great principle in all relationships. Take time to define the problem. Do it in love. Be patient. Never attack the person. Stay away from statements like, you're an idiot for saying this. You're a fool. How dare you talk to me like this? Stay away from that. Humble yourself. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in your life. And that's what I love about what happened here. There was no fighting or bickering. There wasn't statements in Scripture about the complaining attitude of the Jews here like we see in the Old Testament with the Israelites that escaped from Egypt. And they were complaining about this and that and complaining about what God did. What God did, it just never was enough. We're not to have a complaining spirit like that. We're to identify the problem and make it right and not get defensive. Here's a second strategy I see in the Word of God. Prioritize the Word of God. See, the apostles wisely said, hey, we we can't serve tables and teach the Word of God and pray and do all those things effectively. We need to stay focused on the important aspect, the foundational activity of the church, which is prioritizing the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God gives direction to how the church should run. The Word of God gives direction to me about how I should live. You know, as we've been in our homes and sheltering at home, man, you're probably around each other a lot more than you normally are, and maybe there have been points of tension. I'm tired of losing to my 14-year-old son in push-up contests and losing in Monopoly games. I'm tired of that. The Word of God gives me direction about how to live with my family. I, as an individual, need to prioritize the Word of God. And the apostles did that. They said, we're not going to give up teaching the Word of God to serve food. The priority is obvious. The Word of God is even more important than how food is distributed. So in your life, my friends, prioritize the Word of God. Prioritize the Word of God. If you have a problem in your life, Prioritize the word of God. The apostles realized that they needed to prioritize the teaching of the word. That was first and foremost. That was their gift. And they said, hey, it's not right for us that we should give up preaching the word of God. How could we ever do that? That's why here at Riverview Church, 
we always prioritize that the Word of God must be a part of every ministry in the church. No matter what it is, the element and priority of the Word of God has to be there. I don't think you'd want it any other way. We want to prioritize the Word of God. We want to live in this world modeling for people the wisdom of God's Word, making sure that we can focus on the principles of God's Word. That's our desire. See, they're not going to serve tables and give up the preaching of the Word of God. And in our lives, stick to God's Word. Prioritize it in your life. The word serve here is an interesting word. It's the word diakonoi in the Greek. Diakonoi is the word that we eventually get the word deacon from in the English language. And it simply means to wait upon, to serve, to attend to. And it's where we get the office of the deacons. This is the beginning of the office of deacons and deaconesses. comes from this word diakonoi. Because we have amazing people in the church that are using their gifts and abilities that do so much behind the scenes. Can I stop right now as a pastor and say thank you. Thank you to all of you who are doing the work of serving around the church. It's not up front. It's behind the scenes. You know, when you look at the qualities of these individuals in Acts chapter 6, they were amazing qualities, right? They, They were people that had a good reputation. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were full of wisdom, You would think, okay, these people need to be up front. They need to be leading massive ministries. You know what their job was? Serving tables. They were waiters. They were waiters, and they had no problem with that. And my hope and prayer is that every one of us who serves in various ways and various capacities around the church would realize how important that role is. And as a pastor, I hope I convey that to every one of you when I see you serving. Thank you for serving. You're fulfilling what started here in Acts chapter 6. The apostles couldn't do it all. And thankfully, God gave amazing gifts to various individuals that made the church run effectively. Don't be discouraged about wherever you're at serving the Lord. We need you. We need you there. And that really is a principle right out of God's word. It leads me to my third strategy. It's this. Utilize the gifts that are in the church to solve and avoid problems, right? This is exactly what the apostles did. They said, you know what? Our gift is teaching the word of God. We're going to get other people who are gifted in organizing the distribution of food. Apparently, the distribution of food was done haphazardly. It wasn't organized right. Let's get seven people that can organize it. And what's interesting is all the names that I read, you know, the funny names that I read in Acts chapter 6 of these seven men who were chosen, they were all Greek names. That tells me a lot about the confidence that the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, had in those Hellenistic believers. These are seven men with, Hellenistic Greek names that will oversee the distribution of food to the Greek widows and to the Jewish widows. Why did they have that trust? Because these seven individuals had great qualities. They had a good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and they were filled with wisdom. And for me as a pastor, I know those are qualities that I need to have in my life. I need to exercise in my life. And for all of us who serve, that we are concerned about our reputation, not only here in the church, but in the community, that we represent Christ well, that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, and that we take the wisdom that comes out of the Word of God and apply it to our lives. That's true of all relationships, all relationships, that we would take those qualities and put them into action, no matter where God puts us. And what I love about uh, the marriage relationship is God brings two people together who become one. And my wife has different gifts and abilities, thankfully, than I do. She compliments me so well. And she strengthens me and makes me a better person because of her gifts and abilities. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We're to celebrate those qualities that are in others, strengths that we don't have that other people do, to celebrate that, to not be intimidated by that. The apostles weren't intimidated by these seven individuals that had these great qualities. Let's put them into action. Let's give them responsibility. See, they were of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Those are great qualities. And yet their role was to serve tables. And the apostles said, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is the beginning of a concept known as body life. Body life. Body life is beautifully represented in the human body that our bodies have different parts to our bodies. All of them with a different function. Uh, What would happen if the entire body was a human eye? That, that would be a monster, right? Or a human ear. Oh, man, that would be a monster. But God has beautifully designed the human body with many different parts, all having different functions. Thank God for our immune system, our immune system that fights off viruses. Now, I know there are compromised immune systems out there. And again, that's all the result of living in a fallen world. But God has given our bodies all these different parts. If you're going to show up for a loft house build, you wouldn't show up. Here, I, I noticed this beautiful camera that's over here. This beautiful camera that's on one of our shelves. This is an old camera. You wouldn't show up wanting to hammer in some nails with a camera. That's not the right tool. That's not what's used to hammer in nails. You don't use a saw to hammer in nails. You wouldn't use a hammer to cut a piece of wood. When you go to a loft house build, everyone's using the tool that's appropriate for the job that it takes to build the loft house. That's what the church is like. Even in families, parents, I hope you can celebrate the gifts of your kids. They don't all have to do what you do, but you see the strengths of your children and you uh, encourage them in their gifts and abilities that are most likely a little different than yours to celebrate that to build them up, to tell them how gifted they are. Parents, we need to do that. We need to express to our kids our love for them and to see the gifts that they have and give them that direction that they so desperately are looking for. That's what the church needed to do. The beginning of this body life concept happens here in Acts chapter 6, and it made the church stronger. 
It made the church stronger, and the apostles weren't intimidated by that. There are some individuals that are control freaks. They have to control everything. Not to be like that. Let it go. Give it to others. Delegate to others. See them grow and develop in their gifts and abilities. That's what happens here in the church. And in the Word of God, there are four different passages that I want to highlight that give us a list of the spiritual gifts that exist. In Romans 12, the gifts of encouragement, of giving, of leadership, of mercy, of prophecy. Prophecy being that gift to take the Word of God and apply it to a very specific problem and situation. In the Old Testament, 99% of the ministry of the prophets was not predicting the future or prophesying about the future. 99% of the ministry of the prophets of the Old Testament was taking the Word of God and addressing a specific problem in a nation or a group of people or in a leader, applying the Word of God to that problem. Gift of service. That's what we see here. Seven men who are willing to serve food, to be waiters at tables. The gift of teaching. There's another gift found in Romans 12. Another passage is 1 Corinthians 12. We see the gift of administration, of discernment, of healing. Yes, God still heals today. The interpretation of tongues. This gift that uh, is speaking in another language that you do not know and then someone else interpreting what is said in this gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy is repeated here in 1 Corinthians 12. The gift of wisdom, the gift of being an apostle. Someone who's sent out. I see that as someone who is sent out, like our missionaries, to begin churches in other places. They're sent out to build up the church. Gift of faith, gift of helps, gift of knowledge, gift of miracles. Teaching is repeated here again. In Ephesians 4, we see the gift of apostle repeated, the gift of being a pastor, of teaching, of evangelism. Some people are really good at evangelism. Now, you might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I won't evangelize. No, the Bible clearly tells us that all of us are to be lights in this dark world. All of us are to share our faith. But there are some people who have a gift of doing that. And then the gift of prophecy is repeated again. In 1 Peter 4, we see the gifts of serving and teaching repeated. Now, look at this list. Which one do you think best fits you? These are really categories, right? Uh, For example, our children's workers that are teaching our kids. Many of them, all of them, are gifted teachers. They know how to teach kids. They're much better at it than I am. They have the gift of teaching. There are people doing organizational things behind the scenes here at Riverview Church. Uh, That's the gift of administration, organizing things, organizing ministries. I'd love for you to look at this list of gifts and think, you know what, I think this is where my spiritual gift is. And really own it and own it. If you don't have a ministry, I'd love to talk to you about that. I want to get you serving and using your gifts and abilities to assist the church. That's how we become a healthy church. As you use your gifts and abilities to serve God's people here in the church. It's a powerful thing. Here's the fourth principle. It's this. Support the consensus decision of godly church leaders. I love what they do here. In the text, they get behind the decision of the elders, of the apostles. In chapter 6, this pleased the people, they said. What they said pleased the whole gathering in verse uh, verse 5. 
They got behind the decision of the church leaders. Now, that's an amazing quality. That's a great quality. We are blessed with a group of elders who love the Lord and uh, there's a desire that we have to always get feedback from everyone that attends Riverview Church. We want Riverview Church to be the very best representation of the body of Christ that it possibly can be. But we can only do that with your help. Not only your feedback, but jumping in and doing your part. But we love hearing suggestions that come from you to make our church better. And yet at some point, the elders have to make a decision. Our church leaders have to make a call. And you might say, well, I would have done it a little differently. I would have done it like this. I would ask you to get behind the consensus decision of our godly church leaders. That's our desire. I love the fact that whatever idea I may come up as a pastor, I can bounce it off the elders and other leaders in the church. And we do that on a regular basis. I want to get feedback. I love the process we have here at Riverview to, to just talk about ideas with my staff. Our staff here at Riverview Church uh, will be sharing ideas in staff meeting, get feedback from everyone in the meeting because God's gifted each one of them in different ways. And there's a wisdom in doing that. But at some point, our leaders have to make the call. And I would ask you to just say, you know what? I'm going to trust our godly leaders. I'm going to get behind their decision. I might have done it a little differently, but I'm going to get behind them. I'm going to be a warm wind in the back of those who are implementing the decision that's made to be that supportive warm wind in the back of our leaders. You know, in my family, in our relationships there, you know, God has called my wife and I to be godly leaders in our family. We're to be this team, this team that gets together and we do what God has called us to do, right? We're a team together. We make these decisions. And at some point, we have to get behind this decision and move forward in a godly way. If you're a young person today, you're part of a family, get behind the decision of your parents. Support them. You might think you have a much better way of running a family, but I want to encourage you. Get behind your mom and dad. Pray for them. Support them. Thank them for their sacrifice and what they do for you every day. Yet no parent is perfect. I certainly am not. But get behind your parents. Encourage them. Support them. Just like the people here in Acts chapter 6 got behind the apostles and their decision in the church. What they decided pleased the whole gathering. And they chose these seven men to implement the plan. And, and, and there's numerous examples of that happening throughout the New Testament of, of a plurality of leaders making wise decisions. And we see that modeled throughout the New Testament about the church. Here's uh, principle number five. It's this. Involve the body in the day-to-day details of the solution. I love the fact that the apostles said to the congregation, you pick out seven individuals. You pick them out. We're going to leave that up to you. We've defined the problem. We've decided what the course of action is. We're now delegating the responsibility of implementing that decision to you, the church. Now do it. Find seven individuals who fit 
that criteria, who have those qualifications. And then afterwards, have a debriefing time. How did it work? How did it go? Did it go like we planned it to go? We, we see that here. As the apostles delegate the responsibility of choosing people to implement the plan. And families, delegate responsibilities. Everyone has a chore. Everyone has a part to play. As you build the teamwork in a family, you're, you're not helping your kids if you don't give them responsibilities. Give them chores to do. They're part of the team. They might uh, resist it at first, rebel at it, but don't shy away from giving them responsibilities. Don't shy away from that. Build them up by giving them responsibilities. Involve the body in the day-to-day details of the solution. And church here at Riverview, we want to model that every day going forward. We want to involve all of you in making Riverview Church the best church possible for representing the fact that everything we do is all for Jesus. It's all for him. He's at the center of what we do. He's the head of the church. And whatever we do represents him well. So thank you for being part of that. Thank you for the unity that we feel here at Riverview, even though we're separated by this coronavirus right now. One day we're going to be back together. And God's calling us to be the best representation of Jesus Christ that we possibly can be. And I know we can do it with God's help. We can't do it with human strength. But with God's help, we can do it. See, what they did, it pleased everyone. They got behind it, and they were part of fulfilling the solution. Here's principle number six. It's this. Get behind the efforts of those who are serving in the trenches. What we see here in the text is this. They brought all the seven together, and they set them before the apostles, verse 6. And they prayed and laid hands on them. They didn't just say, hey, go out there and do this ministry and report back to us in a year or two. No, they brought all these individuals in front of the apostles. The apostles laid their hands on them. It was a sign of giving them authority, an act of of reaching out and supporting them in this work. And as they prayed for them, they laid hands on them. We've done that here at the church as we've sent out uh, teams to Mexico. We've We've uh, installed people in various positions of the church. We've laid hands on them and prayed for them, just like they did here in the beginning of the church. See, we want to get behind the efforts of those who are serving in the trenches. Every one of you here at Riverview Church, try to encourage those who are doing ministry around you. May we be a church of encouragement. In essence, we're laying our hands on them and saying, you go, you do this work. And know that we are behind you and encourage them. Thank them for what they are doing. Get behind those who are serving in the trenches. Support them. You know, I know in my own family, I want to take that principle and live it out. I want to support my wife and what she does. I want to support her. She has an amazing role in our family. I want to support her in what she does. I want to encourage my kids. I only have six of them. I want to encourage them in the God-given calling that they will eventually discover in their lives. They would know that we're behind them, 
that we are there for them. Yes, we correct them. If there's something going on in their lives that doesn't represent Christ, we have the role of correcting them in love. But we're behind them. We're supporting them and their efforts to live their lives for Christ. See, they got behind them by praying for them, laying their hands on them. And the good news is the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God was spreading. Why? Because they were taking the word of God and living it out. They were doing church the way God intended it to be done. That doesn't mean there won't be problems. But when we have problems, we take the wisdom of God's word and we live it out. So church, as you are uh, spread out throughout North San Diego County, and I know there are people actually that are watching our services in many different locations around the country, but I want you to know this. We are called to be a light for Christ. And when we come back together again, we will be in this building serving the Lord and going out into the community and serving the Lord and doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the wisdom that we find in God's word. Strengthening the body of Christ to the point where people want to be a part of it. They see what's happening here at the church and they don't like what they're experiencing in the world and they say, Man, I want to be part of something like Riverview Church because what's happening there is amazing. These people love each other and it comes from a genuine love for God. Riverview Church, love you. Be safe. We are looking forward to the day when we will be together again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be the church that's scattered right now. We know the church has left the building. We pray, God, that you would give us the ability to live in such a way that reflects the truth of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for these people in the book of Acts, these seven men who were so qualified, yet they were willing to serve tables. They were diaconoi. They were servants. And we pray that we would have that kind of heart as well, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Riverview Church, look forward to seeing you again. Live this week. Offer him. God bless you.